0: Behind me is the city of Sydney, home to four million Australians. It was here in 1788 that the first fleet came with a load of convicts. And uh, they suffered terribly, but they were able to build a great civilization. And as time went by, Sydney arose to become one of the greatest cities, and one of the most habitable cities on the planet. I'm John Carter, and welcome today to The Carter Report. There was a movie made about it, and some of you saw the movie, A Cry in the Dark, that starred Meryl Streep and Sam Neill. Quite a movie because it was quite a story. The uh, The writing on the jacket gives a little summary of what happened. No body, motive, or weapon. The facts in the Australian murder trial of Lindy and Michael Chamberlain didn't add up. But other things did. Bigotry against the couples, the religion. Scattershot forensic evidence taken as fact and a hysteria that was the 1980's equivalent of asylum witch hunt. I know. I was there. I became very much emotionally involved in the trial because the people on trial for murder were my friends. I'd known them for many, many years. And the feeding frenzy that was encouraged by the press was something that you could not understand unless you experienced it. The distortion of truth. Today, my topic is a cry in the dark. I want you to take your Bibles firstly and turn to Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Proverbs 24, and verse 11 and 12. Then I'm going to tell you the story the most sensational trial in the history of Australia. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those scattering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it, will he not repay each person according to what he has done? We were living in the city of Melbourne. We were in the midst of a big city-wide evangelistic campaign. This was our second year in Melbourne, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. We had... Vast crowds of people coming to the meetings in the famous Dallas Brooks Auditorium. The date was the 17th of August, 1980. The 17th of August, 1980. It came over the news, the young pastor and his wife had been holidaying at Ayers Rock. That is a big Red Rock in the center of Australia, which is also called by the Aborigines Uluru, uluru But most of us still call it as Rock. And the story was told that this young pastor's wife, whose name was Lindy, had somehow lost her baby, apparently taken by a dingo a native Australian wild dog. The name of the baby was an interesting name, Azaria, which means blessed of God. Michael, who was a dear friend of mine, was very interested in reaching people through health. And so he conducted five-day plans to quit smoking. And as a part of his services to help people to quit smoking, he would invite the smokers to come down in the front with their packs of cigarettes and throw them into a little coffin and have a burial service. And inquisitive neighbors and others saw Under the house or in some place in Mount Isa, which is in the outback of Australia. Northern Queensland in the outback. Hot, dry, industrial mining town. People saw a little coffin. And the newspapers picked up on the story, these are Seventh-day Adventists who believe in the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, they sacrificed Azazel in the wilderness. Azaria, Azazel. Every day we opened the newspaper, every time we turned on the television, it was Michael and Lindy Chamberlain who had lost their baby. The the rumors were flying thick and fast. And the vast majority of Australians, I say to my shame, believe that Lindy had murdered the baby. After all is said and done, she belonged to a kooky religion why they were the people who didn't believe in blood transfusions you're frowning at me well of course you know adventists operate hundreds of hospitals around the world but they were confusing us with our good friends the jehovah witnesses but when emotions are running wild facts don't really matter you know and so everybody almost i guess 90 percent of the people had judged them according to the media guilty no doubt about it and then the coroner was to give his report he was a wise old judge and a very very good man and i can remember we had moved to Sydney because we were about to run the great campaign at the Sydney Opera House. And I can remember going home and turning on our 13 inch color television set. We thought the smaller it was the less sin would come through. (laughs) So we had a 13 inch tube. All it did was make our eyes sore, wondering what we weren't seeing. But I can remember turning it on. All Australia stopped. I'm telling you, Australia stopped. Everybody turned on to listen to the coroner's report because he had considered the evidence. And he went through it piece by piece. The rumors, the name Azaria, Azazel, sacrifice in the wilderness. He went through all of this and then he said, Pastor and Mrs. Chamberlain, you have been subject to the most malicious slander campaign in living memory. And on behalf of the authorities, I extend to you my sincere apologies and sympathies. And then he went and we breathed a collective sigh of relief because not everybody in the church thought that they were innocent. But we were grateful and we said, thank God it's over. But then the coroner, this wise, good old fatherly judge went on to say, the police in the Northern Territory certainly botched this, didn't they? And he spoke about the incompetency of the police force of the Northern Territory, which is not a state of Australia. It is a territory, which is a part of Australia, but it is so immature that it's never been made a state. It is the last, last, last frontier. and The capital is named after the great unbeliever Darwin. So he said the police have acted improperly in the investigation. And that was like a red flag to a crazy bull. Time went by and I was attending Avondale College. I was there to preach the church service I believe. And in the afternoon, I went for a walk with Beverly down to the Swing Bridge. In our day, it was called Girls' Walk because only the girls could go in that direction because the boys had to go in the opposite direction. (laughs) How things have changed. And not always for the better. So I went down to the swing bridge, and there I saw Pastor and Mrs. Murchison. They were the parents of Lindy. And as we talked to them, Mrs. Murchison broke down in tears and said, Lindy and Michael are in terrible trouble because the police are after them. And they have no money even to get an attorney. And they seem to be forsaken. And so I went up to their home because they were there at Avondale, staying in one of the little houses there on the road that leads to the college. I went up and sought Lindy and Michael, and we talked together, and I said, I think I know where I can get you legal aid. I want to call Keith Johansson, my dear friend from the city of Melbourne, who had helped so much in the campaign. A wealthy Australian and a man with a heart as big as the world. So I called Keith and he said, well, there's no doubt about it. He said, we will stand by them. He said, I will pay for their attorney. And so he started the ball rolling. But we knew then that problems were coming. And a little while later, I was at the Adventist Media Center in Sydney, Australia at Burunga. And I met Lindy and Michael there because a big television company in Australia wanted to do a documentary about the loss of the baby. Lindy said to me, we think the police are after us. And they were. And Lindy was telling people, I'm absolutely innocent, But the police got the evidence all mixed up, which they had. But let me tell you folks something. It's very difficult for an individual or a couple to fight the police or the government if the government is out to get you. It's very difficult. And what they had told me about their fears came to pass because a little while later, the police raided their home at Avondale and seized Michael's car, a pair of scissors, his camera case, and they took all this away. And they said to the Chamberlains, can we we take, they said, well, look, this belonged to the baby, and this belonged to the baby, Is there anything else you want? Just come take what you want. So they trusted the police. So the police took everything. By this time the press had gone crazy with their feeding frenzy. And the stories were now circulating that they had found in the motor car fetal blood. And the police put out the story. They said we found in the motor car all over the floor the baby's blood. It was only a new baby. It still had fetal blood. And what she did out at Ayers Rock on that awful night when they were having the barbecue, she went and got the baby and she slit the baby's throat. They said we have the evidence and they were arrested and charged with murder. First degree murder, Lindy. And Michael was charged with murder as an accessory after the fact. The trial became the most sensational trial in the history of of Australia, which is only a couple of hundred years, but still... That's a long time when this was to be the greatest trial in those 200 years, nothing compared to it. The trial was held in the city of Darwin and the government spared no expense to get the most formidable attorneys, as they call them in Australia, solicitors or barristers, and the very best one is called a queen's council. And so they had a stack of lawyers. And our church stood behind them and lots of individuals stood behind them to give them the best defense they could have. It is no exaggeration to say that while the trial that lasted for months went on, every time you turned on the news, it was the Chamberlains. Every time you turned on the news, This is the ABC, and here are the headlines. Today, Lindy Chamberlain came to court dressed so-and-so. Lindy Chamberlain, today in Australia, back to those days, is, was the most recognized person in Australia, including the Queen. People knew more about Lindy Chamberlain than they knew about the queen by this time lindy was pregnant expecting another little girl and it showed and so every night you would see lindy arriving at the courthouse in darwin darwin is in the tropics it's the last frontier it's right in the very north of australia in the tropics it is a land of buffalo and crocodiles and crooked juries and so the proceedings were announced the government brought out the best experts in the world to prove that this girl was a murderess they brought out a famous forensic professor from england who knew everything about dingoes and how a dingo could not have taken the baby. The fact that he was an Englishman who'd never seen a dingo was of no consequences. But he spoke ex cathedra. Even a member of our own church testified against her for the prosecution because he'd never liked Adventist ministers anyhow. And this was his day for his revenge for what the church had done perhaps for him. The truth of the matter was this, that there was no body, never found the baby, no weapon, no witnesses, and no motive. I will never forget the most dreadful friday night in my life now in our home we are adventist christians and we are sabbath keepers we do not turn the television on on the sabbath it is the lord's day why anybody would want to be watching television on friday night or on the sabbath is beyond my comprehension i'm glad that god has given us a day when we can kill the one-eyed dragon in the living room. And so in our home, because by the grace of God, we try to follow scripture, we turn off the television and the radio. We open Sabbath when the sun goes down. I don't say this self-righteously. I'm telling you what I do as an Adventist Christian. You say that's legalism. Well, if legalism is trying to obey the law of God, I plead guilty. But if legalism is an attempt to be saved by my works, then this has got nothing to do with it. When we are saved by grace through faith, we will want to obey God. So in our home, we turn off the television. But that Friday night, we turned on the television. We turned off the sound and we waited because the jury was out. And the jury was going to come back. We all thought the evidence against her is so foolish that she will be acquitted. And so it was with confidence that we waited for the jury to come in. Then the jury came in and they were asked, Has the jury reached a verdict? We have your honor. And what is your verdict? Guilty as charged. Guilty of first degree murder. And her husband, an accessory after the fact, and the judge said, Mrs. Chamberlain, I hereby sentence you to life imprisonment with hard labor. But Michael is discharged. I can still see the police coming. Lindy is very pregnant, and the police take hold of her, and she is taken out to the prison. In the Northern Territory to a hellhole. And the prosecution that night had a great party and drank and laughed and told dingo jokes. And so did the rest of Australia. People wore t shirts that said, Release the dingo. Free the dingo. The dingo is innocent. That next Sabbath, my family and I went to our church at Wurunga, which is a church that I still love with a passion. Somebody had written on the side of that great church the word dingo. Our churches were desecrated. A country that believes and prides itself on freedom of religion and freedom of speech. But there was no freedom from religious bigotry. We found friends everywhere. Our church there, at which I became the pastor, shares the same campus with the Sydney Adventist Hospital, which is the largest. Adventist, the largest private hospital in the South Pacific. And one of the finest hospitals, not in Australia, but one of the finest hospitals in the world. With a staff of some 17 or 1800 people. A great hospital. Has a great and beautiful foyer. And that Sabbath morning as we came to church and felt the glare of a hostile nation People would drive past the church, louts in their pickups, and cry out, Dingo! Dingo! But that morning, the Salvation Army came. They came with their band. They marched to the hospital. They marched into the foyer without a word. They set up their instruments and they played hymns. The good old Salvation Army. We found friends in the most unlikely places. A leading Roman Catholic judge who'd served under Gough Whitlam came out and said, this is a travesty of justice. I will never forget the hatred in the air in Australia. But you know there's an old saying, it ain't over until it's over and then it ain't over. And it's not. Around Australia, support groups started to grow. I helped to raise money. My church on the Sabbath morning gave $40,000. And churches, Salvation Army, Roman Catholics, atheists got together and they said, this is a, this is a travesty. This is a miscarriage of justice. And so they collected new evidence and they took it back to the courts, but the court said, we don't consider new evidence. We only consider the old evidence and see if it has been properly used. That's the law. So this went on for a long time while Lindy was in prison. Then the time came for her to be delivered as the Bible says. She was working like a slave cleaning filthy toilets that the guards made filthy. And uh, they sent an ambulance and she was handcuffed and uh, under a guard this girl was taken To the hospital where she had a little baby girl. And soon after the baby was born, after she'd fed the baby, they took the baby off her, sent her back to prison. People said that's what she deserves. Support groups grew around Australia. And lots of wonderful people became involved. Some wonderful people. Judges and a few politicians. Even a man who was a knight. Sir, somebody became involved and there were groups being set up in cities around Australia. And the years went by. She was there for three years. The appeals were turned down. It even went to the highest authority in the land and that was Parliament. Parliament turned it down. Uh, Then a young reporter from Channel 10, which is one of the main television stations in Australia, did a documentary on the trial, the death of the baby. And we'd seen the documentaries from the other television stations which declared that she was a murderer. But this young man put his job on the line and he went out to Ayers Rock and he investigated the case and he heard the story how in the backyard of the leading ranger who had been keeping as a pet a wild, ferocious dingo The night of the disappearance of the baby, he and his friends in the backyard were digging a hole and burying something. He considered the evidence and came back and told Australia, she is absolutely innocent and we have done a terrible thing. And then the leading paper in Australia the Sydney Morning Herald put out an editorial. I remember reading it with a sense of satisfaction and joy. It said, we are calling for an opening up of the Lindy Chamberlain affair. And at the height of the battle and all through this, the Northern Territory said, we were right and we will never give in. We will not consider any more evidence we have spoken and she will stay there until she is dead uh, we have somewhat an emotional involvement in this because beverly and some of her friends went up on occasions to avondale college to help michael keep house we had a motorboat in those good old days And uh, I can remember taking Michael and his two little boys out on the lakes outside Avondale just to get away from the press and all the awfulness. But then at the height of the controversy, something quite amazing happened. An Englishman went out to Ayers Rock. I don't know who he was. He went out to Ayers Rock and he was climbing Ayers Rock and he stumbled and he fell and weeks or even months later the rangers looking for him discovered what was left of him in the desert and as they dug around the bleaching bones they saw something sticking up out of the sand the little jacket of the little girl in the very condition that Lindy said it had been in. The Northern Territory called an emergency cabinet meeting and they said, let her go. And then, as they considered the evidence, they said, We will give you a pardon. She said, I don't want it. And I won't go. Because a pardon assumes that I'm guilty. And I'm not guilty. They said then, we will let you go on one condition. We will even forget about what you've done. As long as you don't sue us. (laughs) Sign this paper. She said, never. A gutsy brave little Aussie. And then there came the new trial that went on in Darwin. And the court system in Australia is the same as in Britain with the judges with wigs, the barristers also in wigs and their robes. And they discovered that the blood in the car, the fetal blood was a sound deadening material that was in every General Motors car. But it gave the same reaction as fetal blood. They discovered the blood that was found on the knife and some other places was most likely chocolate. And some of the blood could have been caused by one of the little boys having a nosebleed. And when they went through all of the evidence and the jury went out and the judge summed it up and all of Australia waited hoping that, most of them hoping that they would be found guilty again. It was announced, the judge said, you are completely exonerated. You did not do it and we are sorry. When I think of Lindy and Michael, whom I've met since then, and of course Meryl Streep took Lindy's part and that became one of the great movies. As I think of all these events of the cry in the dark, as I've been thinking of that black night at Ayers Rock when a little baby girl died, I've thought to myself really there's nothing much sadder than a baby alone and defenseless crying in the dark but i want to talk for a few moments about another cry in the dark and in a real sense this cry is even more desperate than the cry of lindy's baby it is the cry of millions of people in the dark, lost without the knowledge of the Savior. The Bible talks about the lost in the words, and I could, I'll quote them to you. It says, without hope and without God in the world. We live in a very twisted era, including a twisted era among many Christians who believe that people can be saved without Christ as long as they are sincere or good enough. That is righteousness by works and is a great delusion. The Bible teaches that people without Jesus are lost in the dark. Now as you know, In really just a few days, I will stand before, God willing, a multitude of people who are basically atheistic. Let me tell you just a little bit about this. Some time ago, I walked through a part of the forest in Kharkov. And I came there to something that I had not expected to see. You know what it was? A vast war cemetery. And there was a great statue of Mother Ukraine. Higher than this church. This great woman standing there. Looking down upon her dead children. And as I got closer. Do you know what I heard? The beat of a human heart. Beating. It was in the snow. The sun was going down. I was with, there with Fadim, And there they have built into the memorial the sound of a human heart beating. Here in this country, we have got short memories for the things that count. I saw a documentary just recently on a and channel that was on the history of Russia. People are fascinated. They have reason to be fascinated. When you think that in 1917 started the great communist atheistic revolution and from that day to the era of Gorbachev, God bless him, Up to 70 million people were put to death. Can you understand that? Bert, in Kiev, there is a great cemetery that you can walk over. Beneath your feet, a couple of feet down, are the bodies of 250,000 Jews who were not killed by the Nazis they said the Nazis did it the Germans did it no the communists in Ukraine did it at one spot I've gone outside Kiev where there's a vast cemetery and I've looked upon hundreds of trees that still have photographs nailed to them of boys and girls and men and women In this spot, tens of thousands were shot in the back of the neck. Why? Because they went to church. Because they thought differently. I preached in a great auditorium in Kiev. I have been blessed to have these experiences. I've stood on the spot where Khrushchev spoke to the masses there. But I was taken by our church leaders, Fadima, Prolinsky, and others, down into the bowels of that building, where you have great granite slabs that hold up the building. There, thousands of innocent people were tortured to death. Not shot, tortured to death. The blocks cushioned the screams but the blood was so great that it seeped through the foundations and ran down the hill into Kiev. How can you forget? Magadan is in Siberia. It's over in the east. They sent people there like you and me. They put them on ships in Vladivostok Harbour. I've been there. Large ships. They would put on a ship, say, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 men and women in the middle of winter, and the ship would sail north uh, north from Vladivostok up to Magadan. On one occasion, some of the prisoners complained about something. You know what they did to them? They hosed them. When the ship got to Magadan, there were 30,000 men frozen solid. So many people died within your lifetime in Magadan that the roads around Magadan were made out of human bones. So many people died that they took their carcasses they would not waste being good communists and they bulldozed them and made roads out of the bones. If you go there today and go into the forest you will see bits of skulls. In Siberia alone where I have gone and worked my heart out 10 million people were murdered. Igor Perspekin, my Jewish Christian translator, stood with me at a window overlooking the Volga River and looked north up towards Archangel, a thousand miles away or so. And he told me these stories, and then he turned to me and he said, speaking about Christians in America and Australia and Canada and the United States government, he said, does no one care? He said, why are there so few who come? He said, does no one care? A cry in the dark. I sat down some time back in St. Petersburg at a lunch at a dinner that was given in my honor, glory be to God, And an old Russian pastor sat beside me and he said, in 1938, there was a banging on our door and my father got up and got his little suitcase, which he had ready. He was an Adventist pastor. We never saw him again. Every day for months, my mother would go to the prison and say, is my father well? Yes, yes. Here is some food for my father, for my husband. Is my husband well, she'd ask, you see. Yes, he's fine. Take the food. Take the clothing. He'd been dead for months. What the communists did, don't think that what a person believes makes no difference. Don't think that. Wrong religion is a curse. And there's no religion worse than atheism. Atheism is a religion. Goodness me, it has the name God in it, against God. What happened that night? The communists, all good people, rounded up tens of thousands of Jews, Seventh-day Adventist ministers, Baptist ministers, and they took them to a great pit in Saint Petersburg on a snowy night and herded them into the pit and shot them all to death. They say 50 or 60,000 died that night. What a legacy. We have no idea. I can think of starvation in the Ukraine to which I return very soon. During the days of Stalin, Stalin seized all of their wheat. They had the best soil in the world in Ukraine. They grew the best crops. But the people who grew the wheat, 7 million of them starved to death. Can you conceive 7 million? Starving to death. And if you're caught keeping the wheat, you're instantly shot. And in a sense, this nightmare continues, though only in a sense. I had a doctor and a husband come to see me the other day because they want to help if they can. They told me the story, and Beverly mentioned this in one of our church services, about the little orphan babies in Russia. Now, their prostitution is so common then, They took a survey among girls in high schools. And they said, what would you like to be when you grow up? Most of them said prostitutes. That's the best they can think of. At least they have a warm bed. But all of these thousands of little babies are born with mothers from mothers who have AIDS. And the Russians can't work out the babies that have got AIDS and the babies that don't have AIDS. In these orphanages... Out of every three babies, only one of them has AIDS. But they're all treated as though they're the most disgusting vermin on the face of the earth. You go into these wards, there are no medicines and no drugs and the babies are not washed and never kissed and never picked up and they sit there in their own filth And in these little bassinets or these little cribs they have, the little babies stand there as they grow up and they gnaw at the woodwork. And people say, that's not my responsibility. Somebody has said to me, who do you think you are? You can't save the world? I know, Jesus did that. But I can help those people that God puts across my path. So can you. So can you. It is a nation without the knowledge of God that has a great soul hunger. We have had three million people now attend our meetings. Don't take any notice of those foolish critics who can only find fault. Those people have never been outside Southern California except to go to Disneyland in Florida. Take no notice of the critics. We go soon to Odessa, which is a large city on the Black Sea. It is a modern-day Corinth of 1,150,000 people. It is made up of Russians, Ukrainians, Greeks, and a large population of Jews. Their greatest need is to hear about the love of God their greatest need is the preaching of the gospel to know that there is a God in heaven who gave his son to die for them on the cross. That is what we preach. People say to me, what do you preach? I preach Christ. I preach the love of God. I preach a savior dying for our sins. A savior risen again and a savior coming again in glory. That is what I preach. What are our our hopes for Odessa? Well, we are hoping and praying for 2,000 baptisms, 10 new churches. We hope to do something for the children. We have challenges. The budget is $286,000. People say to me, Who gives it to you? You do, by God's grace. They say, but does not the denomination pay for this? Not a cent. And we do not criticize the denomination. They haven't asked us to do this work. But God has. God has. And remember the text. Rescue those who are staggering to death. And if you say we don't know these things. I want to remind you of something. All can do something. You so say, I can't give much. Well, remember the widow who gave the little mite. I received wonderful news this week. A lady here in the United States of America who came with us last year has been so moved by what she has seen that she has mortgaged her property. And had the bank send us this week $44,000. She said, I do not have the money, but she said, I have property. She has mortgaged her property because she's heard the cry in the dark. Now, I don't say this in a melodramatic way, but this could be my last campaign over there because the doors are closing. We tried to go to Novosibirsk and we've tried to go to Zaporozhye and we've ended up in Odessa because we have exhausted just about all the other places because the doors are closing. Now, let me read you something from Lindy's book. This is the book she wrote, Lindy Chamberlain Through My Eyes. And Lindy here quotes a friend of hers, Joy Blackburn, who wrote this poem. There's a sadness in this living. There's a pain that has no words. There's a missing and a longing and a sob that can't be heard. There's a grief that can't be spoken there's a wound that one can't see. There's a dreaming and a hoping when from pain we can be free. Lindy's going to see that little baby again. But there are a lot of people over there who are never going to see their babies again. Never going to see heaven because they were never tall. Therefore if God has moved upon your heart today those of you watching the telecast if you've heard the cry in the dark would you please pray for us pray for me that God will give me strength to preach to these multitudes night after night. Stand with me as a financial partner write to me the Carter Report, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Today, I've heard it and you've heard it. The cry in the dark. And remember this I read this last night and it sort of jolted me. Because we've been taught, you know, that when we come up in the judgment, God's going to be pretty hard to make sure that we have the right theology in every point. Don't know how I'd get on if I was judged like that. Because none of us have got perfect theology, you know. But we're told that in the final judgment when people are judged, God's going to do it in a different way. He's going to say, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was in prison. I was naked. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty in prison or naked? And the king will say, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. They will go away to eternal life. And then he'll say to the wicked, I was hungry and thirsty and you turned away. And they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And he'll say, "Inasmuch as you did not do it. Unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it to me. And the king will say, depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So it tells me that my fate in the judgment will hinge upon how I have treated people. The cry in the dark. May God speak to our hearts that we will arise and seek the lost and save them while we have the opportunity, amen.